Valentine's Day to everyone at Life Center. Did you know that the origin of this day is A.D. 269, St. Valentine? This is going to get dark really quick. Uh, but he was imprisoned, beheaded, and buried for helping persecuted Christians and also helping Christian couples or marrying Christian couples. And while in prison, this is actually interesting, St. Valentine, while in prison, prayed for his jailer's daughter who was blind and she regained her sight. And so upon the day of his execution, being, you know, obviously pulled out to be executed, he left a note to the jailer's daughter and he simply signed it, your Valentine. And that's the origin of where we get. So from there, now we have, it's like, so this is like God's love for everybody. And now today it's like couples, chocolates, and flowers, because that's just what we do. So anyways, Lori. Yeah, exactly. On that story, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) And Jason and I are not up here today to do the typical couple's message. We actually really want to bring a powerful message about God's love. We're in a series, More Like Jesus. We're talking about love all month long, about God's love. And so if you're single, if you're married, no matter where you are on the spectrum or how you feel about Valentine's Day, know that you are loved. Didn't Pastor Soraya just do a beautiful job of just speaking God's love into you today? That's what we want you to feel. So you don't have to worry. If you don't like Valentine's Day, we're not talking about Valentine's Day this morning. But we are talking about love. We are talking about love. And so today we actually want to talk about the importance of our position. And lately, like for the last probably year, maybe even longer, I've been sensing God speaking to me about our position in Christ, the importance of understanding our position in Christ and what comes as a result of receiving salvation, what Jesus has done for us, what comes as a result of that, understanding that, knowing that, standing in that. And often in our English language, we use a lot of exaggeration when we talk. We talk about how much we love something. I'm starving. I'm exhausted. We use all these very exaggerated words. And sometimes when we read the scriptures and we see exaggerated language, sometimes we don't think it actually means what it says. But when we read it in the scripture, when there's exaggerated language, it actually means exactly what it says. And when when the scriptures talk about our position in Christ, there's a lot of exaggerated language, but it means exactly what it says. And I encourage you to study that. Understanding our position in Christ can transform how we walk out our faith. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about what happens when we get out of position. You know, each one of us are responsible for what we do in defining moments. You know those moments when you sort of hit the fork in the road and you can go one way or you can go the other. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road. There's right and there's left. What are we going to do? We're responsible for what happens. And there's a difference between victory and defeat. And often that difference happens much more before you hit the fork in the road. There's these small tests of character in our attitude and in our character happening all the way along the way. And they begin to posture us towards what position are we going to end up taking. Those little tests all along the way start to work way before we hit that fork. And these postures are what position us. Now, there's a scripture in Samuel, and we're going to camp a little bit in this story of David. And some of you may be familiar with this story. Samuel 11, verse 1, and it says, In the springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, his servants with him, and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Wait a minute. 
Something is wrong. At a time when the kings go out to battle, the kings were supposed to go. David decided not to go. And it doesn't matter how many times before this moment David went out to battle with all of Israel. This time he chose not to go. Now, Dean Sherman says one of our spiritual enemy's greatest advantages over the children of God is his consistency as opposed to our inconsistency. Isn't this so true? The enemy is consistently bringing before us attacks, thwarts, temptations to get us off course. And he does it consistently. And, and it's great as long as we're consistent, right? But what about that one time, that one time that David decided not to go? David is out of position. Now, being out of position is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. It's unwise, It's definitely planting our feet in a haughty place, a place of saying, oh, I'm fine. That will never happen to me. Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. And what is challenging about this position is often we can't see that we're out of position until we're out of position. Our position reveals our posture. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And the truth is, none of us are above getting ourselves out of position or entertaining the wrong posture that sort of leads us to this place. Now, David was king. He had a lot of responsibility. Maybe he was tired. And again, even for us, as we get ourselves out of position, we can have all of the justifiable excuses that seem to make sense about why we're there. But the truth is, The devil is like a lion that prowls around seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever seen a lioness seeking her prey? She waits. She's patient and slow and watches and observes and looks and waits for a weakness, a vulnerability. And then she attacks with so much force, so much force that she's literally completely, completely exhausted all of the energy that she has. She waits for the perfect, vulnerable moment. And we're in an interesting position right now, aren't we? We're all at home in the natural. But the question I want you to ask yourself is what is the position of your heart? What position is your heart in, in this time and in this season? Because the enemy, again, is consistently coming against us. So are you going out to battle in your heart, in your posture, in your spirit? The flesh and the spirit battle that's happening inside of you. Are you going out to battle? Is that your position? Or are you sitting on the couch? Are you vulnerable? Are you alone? Are you isolated? Are your feet up and you're eating a bowl of chips and you're saying, ah, I'm fine. I can handle it. You know, our posture can reveal so many things. Haughtiness, entitlement, earning, striving, justification, gratification, comfort, indulgence, self-focus, self-reliance, pride, even revenge. Our posture is motivating our decisions. And in this story, in this story, we see David. It says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, literally says from his couch, and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, David is king. But before he was king, he traveled around with this group of men, this group of mighty men, and he had 37 in his inner core, these men that fought with each other, that protected each other, that had each other's back. 
Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, was one of these men. David is out of position. Uriah is out of sight. And when we're out of position, we don't see what we should. We only see what is right in front of us. We see that which we desire. And a story that we hear too often, rather than using his power to serve, David uses his power for his own pleasure. Love does not seek its own way. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. David sleeps with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant, and he tries to manipulate Uriah. And after failing to cover up his sin, he has Uriah killed, and he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Sure, maybe he's trying to be responsible for these decisions, yet the pain that's preceded by this failure to pay attention to his position leaves a wake of brokenness. A wake of brokenness. David thinks he's covered his tracks, but God sees it all. And God loves us too much not to let us be exposed in the midst of that place because when sin is hidden in our heart, it eats us and it brings pain and it ravages everything around us. You know, in the scriptures, we see a verse that says, and be sure your sin will find you out. We don't really like that verse when we read it. We're like, what? But this is not a threatening statement from God, but it's a statement of affection, of tough, strong love, love that seeks to redeem and restore. You see, as humans, you and I, we always get ourselves out of position when we, in our own wisdom, in our own intellect and experience, even sometimes motivated by compassion, we choose to define what is good and evil outside of God. And it's the repeating story that we see in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. God desires us to eat from the tree of life, but we believe we can handle even better than God the fruit of weighing out good and evil. You know, you don't have to be a king on a rooftop to behave like you are the king of your own heart. And so we must confront our own desire to rule and yield to the one true King of kings and Lord of lords. And this literally is the crux of the spiritual warfare of our flesh and our spirit that are at war within us trying to rule one another. Being out of position doesn't mean we do what David did. It just looks like. It just looks like us from our position alone defining and deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil and serving a God of our own understanding. Yes, David was a sinful man who failed and he fell, yet the scriptures describe David as a a man after God's own heart. And listen, this is good news for you and for me, because God is actually not looking for perfection from us. He's looking for lordship, submission, and obedience. God's word and God's ways are designed for our flourishing and our freedom. And our ways may bring temporary pleasure, but they're always or eventually followed by pain, loss, and bondage. And we've got to be willing to lay down our own desire to be the king of our heart and to hold the weight of good and evil and instead declare God king of our heart and trust his word as the only measure of good and evil. He is holy and he invites us into his holiness. And the good news is, and this really is good news, is that this is impossible for us to do on our own. So Jesus made a way. He made a way for us to receive this life through the cross. 
And not only did he give us the cross, not only did he take all of our brokenness and our sin and our failures and all the ways that we fall short to the cross, but he poured out the Holy Spirit to help us because we need help. We need help. You see where David's love failed? Jesus' love has never failed. Jason, why don't you unpack a little bit more about that love? Yeah, that's really good. You know, the story that Pastor Lori just taught us through is a profound story that speaks to sometimes the narrative within our culture, which can be, if it feels good, do it. If it feels so right, how can it be so wrong? And yet, if you look at the downward trajectory of David's sinful love, whether it was towards Bathsheba, whether even if you think about the servants that he implicated, or the his friend Uriah, when David's love moves in a sinful way, it only creates destruction in each relationship around him. And if you take this moment and you pull it forward, you can actually, if you want to study scripture, you can see how profound this moment truly is. But we want to flip it. Because there's a story regarding Jesus, where his disciples too think he is out of position, but he isn't. He may be out of cultural position, but he is divinely positioned by God. And here's what it says in John chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. We want you to contrast this story with the story that Pastor Lori just read. Here, in the story Pastor Lori just read, here was David alone with a woman, and we see the same story that we see repeated again and again. We saw it not happening this week, but coming to life this week, even with the life of Rabbi Zacharias. And now you look at abuse after abuse. The man who we thought he was wasn't the man that he actually was. And we have seen this story repeated again and again and again, tragically again. But here's what's different about Jesus. John chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. It says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychra, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, so it was about noon. And a woman from Samaria had come to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There was no reason why. There's one reason, excuse me. There's one reason why. This woman at noon was there drawing water. Nobody else would be drawing water at the hottest time of the day. But this woman did not want to encounter other people, other women. Didn't want to hear various things and all. We're going to unpack that in a second. But she was there. She was alone. And here's Jesus. And if you know anything about the time and the culture, those who were Jewish did not associate with those who were Samaritans. They were the other. They were the outsider. They were the enemy. And so, not, and, and on top of that. Jesus, as a Jewish male rabbi, would not then be caught talking to a female, let alone a Samaritan female. So Jesus steps out of cultural position for a divine reason. He's at noon, he's alone, he's alone with a woman, he's alone with a Samaritan woman. And if we drop down to chapter 4, verse 27, it says, When his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. <laughs> but his disciples are smart now. No one said anything. No one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? But they can see that he's out of cultural position, and they're curious about that. But he actually is divinely positioned. Because how Jesus treats a woman. When Jesus is alone with a woman, when David was alone with a woman, it was a frightening thing. But when Jesus is alone with her, well, again, she's not just a woman, she's also a Samaritan. He treats her with dignity. He treats her with grace. 
he teaches her, he treats her with truth. Jesus uses his position not for his own pleasure ever, but to unlock her grander purpose. And every single one of us are on the journey of learning how to love more like Jesus. Again, our history is replendent with story after story after story of man who abuses his position, man who takes advantage of his power, man who engages, or humanity who engages in these ways. But Jesus is entirely different. Together they have a conversation about water. And Jesus then pivots the conversation about natural things to talk about the ache of her soul, the longing of her soul. And before her grander purpose can be revealed, there must be this grace-truth conversation that Jesus has. And so continuing to read in John 4, verses 16 to 26, this is what we see. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. And what you have said is true. For Jesus, in order for him to unlock the grander purpose of her life, he has to be willing to confront what is. He has to be willing to confront what is in love, not to reject her, but to actually set her free. This woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So again, he's talking Jewish to Samaritan. He's trying to build a bridge. But he says, The hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. So she knows about Jesus. She knows about this coming Messiah. She knows about Jewish culture. And the scripture goes on to say, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, this woman at a well, I who speak to you am he. Can you not see this glorious love of God, the heart of the gospel that is so grand, that Jesus loves her just the way that she is. Yet he loves her so much that he's not going to leave her the way that she is. He's not going to leave her in a state just to be taken by man after man after man after man. Here is a man in, in, in bodily flesh. Here is God in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man. And he loves this woman in a way that she's never experienced love from a man or anyone else before. Because it's not a love that is self-seeking. It is also not a love that that. that that shrieks back from telling the truth in order to see her absolutely set free. Jesus loves her again the way she is, but he loves her again so much not to leave her the way she is. Listen to her own words after this encounter with Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 28 and 30, it says, The woman left her water jar. 
She left the original purpose of what brought her to the well because she's now hooked onto a grander purpose and went away into the town and said to the people, remember, this is a woman who just before this encounter with Jesus was at noon, the hottest time of the day, alone, afraid to be around people because perhaps the shame and the scorn and everything that they're going to whisper to say, gossip and slander about her. But she has an encounter with Jesus. And this one encounter with Jesus, now she's actually locked into a grander purpose. She says, come see a man who told me, what does he, what's she say? Come see a man who told me all that I did. The gospel is not just that God loves you and you're a good person. The gospel equally is that I'm a sinner, that you're a sinner, that we're all sinners, that we're broken, that we are full of goodness and we were also full of brokenness. That again, as I made mention of, like Rabbi Zacharias, you can stand on a stage and you can do extraordinary things through apologetic ways, but also behind closed doors, we can be abusive We can harm people, and we can do things that we need to be called to repentance of. Truth and love. The love of Jesus is not this ushy, gushy, you know, he just overlooks or condones my sin. He calls it out because our sin, like the sin of David, the sin of my heart, it hurts and it wounds and it damages people. It is not loving to look the other way. It is loving when Jesus looks fully at us, accepts us for who we are, but doesn't leave us where we're there. He calls us to be transformed, and that's what he does for this woman. Again, she leaves her water jar. She's had an encounter with Jesus, and now she's engaged to a grander purpose. I think it's extraordinary, because watch what happens in John 4, verses 39 to 42. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. This woman, again, a Samaritan who was alone at noon, at the hottest time of the day, is actually an extraordinary evangelist. She is one, actually, that is not meant to be pulled away from people. She has a God-given evangelistic influence, so much so, again, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and then Jesus stayed where, again, he's not out of, he may be out of position culturally, but he is perfectly divinely appointed. We sing songs about, oh, the, the reckless love of God. It doesn't mean that God's love is reckless. What it means is that every cultural norm that you and I put up that say God can't go there, and God can't do this, and God isn't welcome here, he will break down every cultural norm, because Psalm 24 trumps any cultural norm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and so it It doesn't matter where you find yourself. God will find you. It is having the courage to then allow God to love you just as you are, but let him speak truth to everything that you are, not to harm you, but to heal you, not to actually shame you, but to set you free. And that's what he does for this woman here. And then it goes on to say, if we keep reading, They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Again and again, a woman who we see alone on the other side of an encounter with Jesus is actually an extraordinary evangelist. Contrast that with the story of David, a woman who was alone with a man who had power with sinful intentions is in a vulnerable place. But a woman alone with Jesus who has all power, but not just power in a self-serving way, but in a way to sacrificially love, they are in a place 
to actually come alive and to experience God's love in a way that transforms their lives. To be wholly loved by Jesus, we need to embrace both grace and truth found in Christ. To love others like Jesus, of which all of us are novices, none of us experts. We need to pay attention not only to our actions, but like David, we've got to pay attention to our postures. We've got to pay attention to our position. We've got to pay attention to when we're out of position, because here's what I know about my life, is I am on the journey of learning what it is to love like Jesus. That's, he can be out of culturally position, but it's more of a dangerous thing when I get out of position. Because our world needs more stories, like Jesus meeting a woman at a well, and less stories of a person of power out of position, like David on a rooftop, because that story is painful again and again and again and again. As a church together, let's not put our eyes on humanity. Let's shift our eyes and look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So what about us today? What can we do? What can you learn from the story of David? What can I learn from the story of David? Here's what you can learn. Confess before you're caught. Confess before you're found out. Confess. And then let the love of Jesus, from the story, the second story, from the woman at the well, let the love of Jesus and let the truth of God's word, let it define what is good and evil in our hearts and lives. And then, let your heart be loved, holy as you are right in this moment, but let it be loved by Jesus in such a way that it transforms you and it unlocks your grander purpose. So, so good. So Jesus used his power to die on the cross for you, to take your sin upon himself so that you don't have to bear the consequences of that sin, so that you could be redeemed. And he rose to life and wants to give you that same life, that same resurrection life. And so if you're listening to this message today, and maybe you identify with the story of David, maybe something is stirring in your heart, or maybe even the story of the woman at the well, where Jesus reveals who he is. He reveals himself as Savior, and her eyes are opened, and she receives that message. We want to pray for you today. If you want to give your life to Jesus, and I know you're at home and we're online, but you can do so by indicating in the chat, and someone would love to pray with you, and we want to pray for you right now. But for every single one of us, we want to pray that we are filled afresh today with the love of God, a love that is so far beyond what we are capable of in ourselves, that we need the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, the fruit of His Spirit, in order to love the way that He love. Would you pray with us today? God, thank you so much for what you are at work doing. And I pray right now that anybody who is listening to this message, God, that you supernaturally would open our eyes to see and understand the kind of love that you came to bring us, that you would open our eyes and give us a revelation to be able to receive the power of salvation into our lives. In whatever area we need to be saved, we need redemption, we need transformation, we receive that from you right now by a work of your spirit. And we thank you, God, 
that the work that you did on the cross was complete, that you used your power to set us free. We thank you for that gift, and we receive it afresh today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, those who do not yet know you, who do not yet have a revelation of this truth. God, that you would come and that you would bring a revelation of this, that you would allow your saving power to transform and to make them new. God, open our eyes. And I pray for every single one of us, collectively, as your church, as your bride, that you would help us to love one another. Your word says that we will be known by the love that we have for one another. So God, we ask that you would help us. Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to love more like Jesus. We ask and we need your help from your Holy Spirit. So God, we pray this today. A fresh and filling of your Holy Spirit. A fresh and filling of love and learning how to love more like you. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. We worship you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. And you can type right in the chat right now, a big all caps, amen, with exclamation marks, right? Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been such an honor to come together, to worship the Lord, to lift his name, to sing songs of praise, to pray, to bring, to open up the word. It's been such an honor. And we want to remind you, we'd love to hear those video submissions for Life Center's 40th. And we also encourage you to register for a life group. Go to our life groups page, look through the group, sign up for a group, even a short-term group. We'd love to connect with you over the next few weeks. God bless you. We love you so, so, so very much. May God's love fill you afresh today. May you go through the rest of your week just full of God's love. Have a great, great week. God bless. Thank you.